Chapter 11. The first week of October brought with it the familiar face of Eponine Abbott, Draco's therapist. He sat across from her with his usual closed-off, crossed arms and stoic look on his face. They had been sat like that for a good two-thirds of their session, and Draco was yet to say anything to her. Draco. She leans further towards him, placing her parchment and quill on the small table next to her, and resting her elbows on her thighs. It's been almost 45 minutes, and you're yet to say a word to me. I really thought we were getting somewhere with our last session. <laughs> Hardly, Draco thought. Their last session had been on his second day back at Hogwarts via Flucal. It had been a slightly shorter session, just to see how he was settling back into the castle and around his peers, but he hadn't spoken for most of it. He said the occasional, I'm fine, or nodded in agreement when she asked whether he was looking forward to his classes, or if people were treating him kindly, but other than that, he'd stayed pretty silent. Then again, in this session, he still hadn't said his first words to Eponine, not even a greeting. She sighed at his lack of response and leaned back in her chair, slapping her head against her thighs. <sighs> okay, she announced. We're going to try something different. Noticing Draco's sudden stiffening in his chair, she added a quiet, something scary, don't worry. Standing up, she motioned for Draco to join her, which he reluctantly did after she physically grabbed him and dragged him up. Hey, you're not meant to manhandle your patience. Finally, he speaks! She gave him a cheeky wink and sat down again. Realising that he had been goaded into saying his first words, he scowled at the smirking healer and flopped back onto his comfortable leather armchair with a loud sigh. After a few more minutes of silence, where Eponine simply stared at him, Draco finally caved. Fine, he spat. You want to talk, ask away, but you get no more than one-word answers. Eponine studied him briefly before launching into a well-rehearsed list of pent-up questions. Are you for being nice? No. Are you being bullied? Draco snorted. <clears throat> no. Has anyone physically hurt you? Draco paused. No. Not unless you mean myself or my heart. How is he into her common room? Fine. How are your old friends treating you? Great. Any plans of making any new friends? Draco paused again. No, my intention isn't friends, but one can dream. Eponine changed her tactics slightly, launching into a quickfire round. Happy? No. Scared? Another laugh. <laughs> no. Pansy? Coping. Blaze? Meddling. Theo? <laughs> Annoying. Friends? Plenty. Crush? No. Draco was quick to answer, but Eponine noted on her parchment the slight twitch in his eye. Nightmares? Or wait, Draco stopped himself suddenly. Hmm. There was a silence again for another few minutes before Eponine sighed and stood up. Well, Draco, it looks like our time is up. Thank you for being so vocal in this session. I really think we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of your issues. The brisk winds were picking up now around the castle. The Scottish Highlands had sheltered the castle from the September chill, but it did nothing to shelter them from the blistering winds that were starting to come in as the first month of back at Hogwarts made way for the start of October gales. Miney was a little nervous what Theo had planned for their second date, at least that's what she assumed the butterflies were all about in her stomach. He had a great knack of keeping their date ideas a secret, and they still didn't know each other massively well yet, still being early in their friendship. Relationship? They hadn't officially had the chat about their relationship status yet, and she wasn't sure whether she was even ready for a boyfriend. Did she even want it to be Theo? She'd like him and found him very attractive. 
but she still felt like there was something missing that needed to develop before she could decide she wanted him to be more than friends. That's even what he wanted. As she got dressed into her black jeans, oversized turtleneck jumper and black boots, as she thought back to the conversation she had with Pansy in the common room last night. Her Slytherin friend had told her how much she had seen Theo change since becoming friends with Hermione. Apparently, he had become much more talkative amongst the students outside Slytherin, even sparking a friendship with Anthony Goldstein, but Hermione wasn't sure she was thrilled by his choice of friend, and Pansy even said Theo started mentioning his mother again, something he hadn't done since a mysterious death from a fall down the stairs the year before she started Hogwarts. Everyone knew that Theo's father, Tiberius, had anger and drink problems, and being one of the highest-ranking Death Eaters in both Wizarding Wars, nobody dared question the death of his wife, or why his son turned up to school every September with a couple of fresh bruises. In second year, Theo even had a medical note from St Mungo's that he couldn't perform wand magic for the first week of school, as almost all of the bones in his right arm were regrowing after some nasty breaks from a supposed flying accident. Hermione grabbed her fluffy coat before practically skipping down to the common room to meet Theo. Maybe the butterflies were for good nerves. As she came out into the open space, she came eye to eye with her date as he stood tall by the fireplace, a grin spreading across his face as he made his way over to her. You look lovely. Theo took her hand in his and kissed her knuckles, making Hermione blush. Motioning to a bottle of fizzy elven wine on the small table by the fire, and leading her over to some fluffy cushions he'd laid out on the floor, he added, I thought we'd have a quick toast to our second, hopefully, of many dates. Hermione plopped onto the large cushion, nodding in agreement, not able to stop self-smiling. Theo handed her a glass and she let the bubbles tickle down her throat, suddenly feeling a calm wash over her from the earlier nervousness. She thought that she could hear someone outside the common room door dropping a load of books and a muffled swear, but she didn't even care if somebody walked past their date. As embarrassing as she would have found it before, there was something about being around Theo that calmed her, and she didn't care what anyone thought of their clearly romantic situation. So, Pansy caught Hermione's eyes as soon as she entered the potions classroom and ran over to her, almost knocking her off her stool as she sat down next to her. Tell me everything about the second date. Hermione righted herself before bursting into giggles, again not able to keep a smile off her face. Oh, Pansy, it was amazing. We had a drink in the common room and then he took me down to the Quidditch pitch to collect his broom. We flew over the Black Lake and over to one of the ridges overlooking Hogsmeade and just talked for hours. Ginny shrieked in excitement, making the two girls jump. They hadn't even noticed that their red-headed friend had walked into them at their desk. Wow, the Slytherin continued after getting her breath back from the fright Ginny had given her. I've never known Theo to talk so much. I wish he was that talkative to all of us. He's been making improvements, but I don't think he'd give any of us hours of conversation. Hermione giggled again, nodding in agreement with her friend. But wait, Hermione? Ginny's expression had changed from looking like she was about to burst with excitement to one of concern. Don't you hate flying? Yes, Hermione answered, turning her head down quizzically to the table. I've always been petrified of flying. I can't explain it, though. I wasn't scared at all with Theo. I don't even remember being nervous at all. The three girls glanced over to the door as the boy in question entered, followed closely by Malfoy. He walked into the back of Theo, who had stopped just to give a bright smile to them before making his way over to his desk. Sneering at the back of Theo's head, Malfoy followed him, quickly dropping a sneer from his face and replacing it with a look of... What was that, embarrassment? As he caught Hermione's eye. 
Malfoy quickly broke their eye contact and slumped down on his chair next to Theo. The Slughorn walked through the door of his office into the classroom with a bright and cheery, Good afternoon, class! After Slughorn had taken attendance, he ushered the class over to the table at the back of the classroom, in which six vials of various shapes and sizes stood. Hermione instantly recognised some of the potions from one of their classes in sixth year, including Felix Felicis and Amortentia. She also recognised three potions from her advanced potion-making book she'd been reading over the summer. Veritaserum, the potion of truth-telling, Polyjuice, the shape-shifting potion, which Hermione had already mastered in second year, despite it being a newt-level potion, and blood replenishing potion, which aided in medical care for blood loss. Can anyone tell me what this last potion is? Slughorn asked the class as he raised the final vial Hermione couldn't recognise. Its thick, deep purple appearance looked like it had small blue silver flecks running through it, which glistened as the professor turned the vial. They almost reminded her of Malfoy's eyes. Shaking her head to banish the strange thought, she focused back on the class in time to hear Theo answering Slughorn's questions from behind her. It's Diasomnium, sir, the, the daydream potion. Fantastic, Mr. Knox. Twenty points to Slytherin. I'm impressed you recognise this potion. It's not a common one at all. Blushing slightly, Theo mumbled something about having seen the potion in his father's lab at the manor one summer, which caused the class atmosphere to shift into an uncomfortable silence. Ah, yes, Slughorn, not one to ever realise when it was probably best not to talk, continued. It's one that was often used by supporters of Voldemort when needing to control large groups of people. While there are many curses and spells which could have a similar effect, the Dias Somnium Potion has no smell or taste, so it can easily be administered on a large scale without raising suspicion, and also doesn't require the concentration of the caster for its effects to work. The potion is incredibly difficult to make and is often considered a potion which shouldn't be taught in schools. Placing the vial back on its stand, he continued with a stern stare to each of the students. Don't be fooled by its name. The daydream potion may sound harmless, but the state in which it leaves its drinker can have dire effects. It has practical applications in medicine, such as for patients who may be in pain, but the issues arise from the drinker having no notion of what is happening to their physical body while they are in the daydream-like state, or any memory of what happened to them afterwards. All they know is what fantasy the witch or wizard who gave them the potion cast into it, and that they enjoyed the daydream very much. Making their way back to their desks, there was a buzz amongst the students, as they had been sorted into six groups of two, each assigned to one of the six potions to make over the course of the next month, the standard brewing time for most of the potions. Hermione had paired herself with Ginny, trusting her best friend with the brewing of Veritaserum. Pansy had joined Theo, as he had been given the vial of Amatentia, and she was determined to sneak a vial for her own. Draco had swapped sides to sit next to Blaze, as they were assigned Diasomnium, being the best two potion makers in the class, and the daydream potion being the most complicated to make. Unlike previous years, where potion students were allowed to follow a recipe straight off, the final year class were given their first class to study the potions, make notes on its effects and properties, and test the completed potions to try and determine what ingredients were included in the brewing before making it. Hermione uncapped the clear, odourless and tasteless potion, glancing at Ginny. Well, this is going to be an easy one to determine ingredients for. At least Malfoy and Zabini's potion has a colour. We didn't even get that, her friend huffed. Across the room, the four Slytherins had started making progress on researching their potions too. Malfoy and Blaze had already made a list of all the ingredients that could give the potion its deep purple colour and create the small blue silver flecks, and were preparing to whittle their list down. 
Theo and Pansy on the other side of the table had caught their amortentia and were laughing. Pumpkin pie in the greenhouses, Theo laughed. You're definitely clutching on long button pans. Pansy was glaring at the laughing boy, her ears turning pink in embarrassment. I'll have you know there are lots of students, and non-students, she quickly added, who like gardening and spend a lot of time in the greenhouses, she shrieked. Miss Parkinson, Mr Knott, Silicon interrupted, what is all this noise about? Sorry, sir, Theo looked sheepishly down at the vial in his hands. I was just messing with Pansy, it won't happen again. Silicon's face softened into a small smile at his students. He could never stay angry with the students in his house for long. Very well, Miss Snott. Why don't you calm yourself down and tell me what your amatentia smells like? I seem to remember you being very confident of the scent a couple of years ago. Theo sniffed at the vial, nodding to himself. Yes, sir, I, I am confident of the scent this time too. He raised his voice slightly so that the rest of the class could hear him. Although the scent is different this time around. A number of students turned around, interested by what Theo now smelt in the potion many of them having been present when he announced what it smelt like to him in sixth year in front of the class. Lemon, strawberries and fresh linen. Jasmine, vanilla, old parchment. Theo started listing off ingredients for what his amatentia smelt like now. As he continued through the list, Hermione noticed Malfoy's head jolt up and his eyes land on Theo with a fire in them she had never seen before. Turning to his friend and looking him directly in the eye, Theo said the last scent he could smell and ink. With a clatter, Malfoy's stool crashed to the floor, and before anyone could register what was happening, he was gone, the door of the potions classroom slamming behind him. Over the shocked whispers around the room, Hermione heard Justin and Anthony sniggering to themselves. Remember when we thought Malfoy was the heir of Slytherin? Justin laughed. Yeah, Anthony rolled his eyes back. Pathetic. Look at him now. Couldn't even be the heir of losers. Chapter 12 Twelve-year-old Draco had been wondering for the past few months what his father had put in the Weasley Girls' cauldron at Flourish and Blots, when everyone else in the store cooed over Lockhart, although with all the mysterious happenings that had been going on at the school this year, he was certain it was linked to the Chamber of Secrets everyone was going on about. He had sat outside his father's study, trying to stay out of the way, as the house elves rushed about with festive garlands and Christmas decorations for the main hall. It took a lot of courage for him to ask his father what was going on, and if he knew anything about the chamber, and he had received quite the lashing when he had asked one too many questions, but he had learnt enough to be able to find out what he needed in the manor's library. He knew exactly who to give the information to as well. He had made a comment about how he wished she would be the next victim of the heir of Slytherin, and ever since he said it, he'd been feeling incredibly guilty. Sure, she was a mudblood, but she was different from all the others, and while he still thought that she was beneath him, he couldn't think of anyone worse than her being harmed. Or worse, dead. It took him months, though, to be able to find an opportunity to slip one Hermione Granger the information he had found. He finally found the opportunity in the library, as she had left her bag unattended while Madame Pince was ushering the Weasley girl out of the room after she had sent a nasty back bogey hex towards one of the Hufflepuffs in her year, but God knows what. It was just a bonus, then, that two dim-witted twins, Potter and Weasley, had followed most of the other students down to the Quidditch grounds. As Hermione was apologising to the librarian and shooting the hot-headed redhead out of her sanctuary, 
Draco took the opportunity to slip two things into her bag, a small hand mirror and a page from one of the books at the manor on the basilisk, on which he'd quickly scrawled the word pipes. Hermione needed space to think, somewhere quiet where she wouldn't be disturbed. With all the commotion in potions that afternoon and the whirlwind that was Theo, she needed some space for peace and quiet. She initially tried the library, but when the third year is having a big transfiguration project on the go, it had been much busier than usual, and even the hidden stacks in the restriction section didn't bring her any calm. This is how she found herself wandering around the castle and making her way up the steps of the astronomy tower. She hadn't been to the tower since her, Harry and Ron had made their plans to leave school at the end of their sixth year and go on a mad hunt around the British Isles for Horcruxes. That seemed like such a long distant memory now, but as she made her way up the spiralling stairs and past the large mechanical structure that was the main telescope, she could feel the memories flooding back to her one by one with every step she took. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. She was about to turn around and make her way back down the stairs when she heard a noise. It was faint and muffled, but it almost sounded like someone crying. A boy. Carefully and quietly, she made her way around the telescope to the viewing deck that looked out over the Scottish Highlands and the Black Lake, suddenly stopping in her tracks when she realised that the boy that had been making those sounds was sat with his head resting against the railings and feet dangling off the edge of the tower was Malfoy. His bright platinum hair was flopped messily in his eyes, and his head hung. His hands were balled into fists in his lap, and his shoulders were flinching slightly with every sniff and hiccup he made. She took a tentative step forward, not wanting to startle him. She, or certainly nobody she knew for that matter, had ever seen Malfoy show any kind of emotion other than annoyed, smug, or, though she wouldn't admit it, scared. Hearing her for the first time in his presence, he suddenly grasped at the railing with both hands, knuckles white, and spun his head around to glare at the intruder. He was no longer making any sounds of crying, but Hermione could clearly see the puffiness and redness of his eyes. What do you want, Granger? he hissed at her viciously, turning his head back to look out at the black lake. She approached him slowly. I was just looking for somewhere quiet to think. I didn't mean to disturb you. Stopping again and noticing that his hands were still tightly gripping the rails, she thought better about approaching him and turned to make her way out of the tower. Sorry, I'll, I'll leave you alone. She'd almost made it back to the top of the stairs when she heard a faint... Stay. Not entirely convinced she heard him properly, she turned slowly and made her way back to the railings to stand awkwardly by him. Sit. His hands were back in his lap, no longer tensed, so she sat down about a foot away from him, resting her back against the railings. She wasn't afraid of heights, for the tower was an awfully long way up, and every time she looked down she was reminded of the night Dumbledore died. I'm surprised you're... she began. Malfoy's eyes met hers quickly, flashes of anger running through them. What? Up here? Big scary Death Eater returned to the scene of his crimes? Is that what you think? Money was taken aback by the boy sat next to her, and began shaking her head, no, no, of course not. Malfoy wasn't going to say that at all. What then? He snapped. Letting out a sigh, she responded quietly. I'm surprised you're letting perhaps like Anthony and Justin get to you, was all I was going to say. Malfoy turned his head back to the view, sighing loudly. He didn't say anything more for a while, focusing on the lapping waters of the lake, but his breathing was still heavy. They sat in silence for a while, neither really knowing what to say to the other. 
They'd never been in a situation like this before, Malfoy showing emotions and having not sent an insult her way, and Hermione feeling calm in his presence. Do you want to talk about it? She tried after a few more minutes. Malfoy just shook his head, and they fell back into silence. After about half an hour, Hermione was satisfied that Malfoy just needed some quiet, and someone, anyone, there with him at the time, irrespective of who that was, and his breathing had returned to normal. She made to stand and leave him be when she felt fingers gently gripping around her wrist. She turned to look at Malfoy, who still wasn't looking at her, just holding her wrist. It was an odd sensation. She couldn't actually recall, other than a punch to the face in third year, whether they had actually ever touched each other before. She had expected his touch to be cold and rough, but it surprised her that his fingers were warm and actually made her feel a rush of calm through her body. She sat hesitantly back down again, this time with her legs crossed and facing him, though he didn't meet her gaze. He spoke after a few more seconds. I'm sorry. She was dumbstruck. Had Draco Malfoy just apologised? This place just gets under my skin. I don't want to be here. I... She could tell this was incredibly difficult for him. I don't know how to be around people here. The people that I... His face dropped into his hands in frustration. Hermione didn't even consciously realise what she was doing until it was already done, but she suddenly found her hand resting on Malfoy's shoulder in support. He flinched slightly at the feeling of her hand settling on him, but he didn't make any effort to move away, and there was no disgust in his gaze like Hermione had expected. He simply looked at her, hands still suspended above his chest, in a cup shape. They just looked at each other for a minute, neither one knowing or wanting to say anything, or move, each taking in the colours of each other's eyes and the comfort they found in them at that moment. Have Malfoy's eyes always had that speck of stunning blue in them? Have Granger's eyes always looked like chocolate? The sound of a loud bang from a door in the distance jolted them both out of their positions. Malfoy quickly spinning his head back to the view and Hermione snatching her hand back off his shoulder and standing quickly. I should, I'm sorry. They both spoke at the same time before falling into an awkward silence again. Eventually, Hermione sighed and started to make her way to the staircase, saying over her shoulder, I'll see you around, Malfoy. Before he could turn around to respond, she had run down the stairs, leaving him staring at where she just stood a second before. See you, Hermione. Back in the common room, Theo Knott was fuming. He'd worked so hard to make Hermione trust him, be his friend, be his... Well, she wasn't his official girlfriend yet, he was damn sure that she would be in a few weeks. At least he had been until one of his best friends had gone and started sticking his big nose in. Theo had always known that Draco had a thing for the Golden Girl, before even he knew it himself. He never thought his friend would have the balls to actually be civil to her, though, after everything his father had brainwashed him with. But ever since Draco's trial, Theo had been worried that things were changing, and that maybe, just maybe, there was a sliver of hope that Draco and Hermione could potentially be friends, if not more. Theo had worked too hard to let her go, to let her discover this side of Draco. He'd even tried in potions to make a point that his Amatentia now smelt like Hermione, listing the exact same thing in the exact same order that Draco had written down on his parchment in secret when they had their first smell of the potion in sixth year. It was his subtle way of letting Draco know that he was pursuing Hermione and that he stood no chance against his, if Theo said it himself, better-looking, kinder and not-marked friend. 
Clearly, Draco hadn't got the hint. And what his girlfriend, the girl he was taking on dates, doing in the astronomy tower of all places alone with him. Clearly, he would have to go up his game on the dating front with Hermione if he wanted to be the one she chose. And would have to do something drastic to show Draco that Hermione was his and that he could quit while he was ahead. Bad-mouthing Draco to Hermione while telling her not to talk to him wasn't an option. It was a surefire way to not only raise suspicion as to why he didn't want them getting to know each other, and would inevitably push the two closer together. He was speaking from experience, of course, as the exact same thing had happened with not only Pansy and Draco, but Daphne and Blaze as well. Theo was invisible, unloved, and always last choice. He was sick of it, and he wasn't going to let the first girl who had actually gone on more than one date with him pick one of his friends over him again. Hermione was sat at one of the tables closest to the Great Hall's large fireplace a few days later, still contemplating her weird encounter with Malfoy in the astronomy tower, when she was jolted out of her thoughts by the squealing form of Ginny bouncing up and down next to her and dramatically swatting at her upper arm with fingertips in excitement. Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? Eyes widening at her friend's overzealousness, Hermione shook her head, fighting back a laugh. Heard of what, Jin? There's going to be a ball for Halloween. Ginny's eyes glazed over. There's going to be dancing and music and, best of all, costumes. Ginny, calm down. Hermione grasped her friend's hands to stop her from knocking things over on the table. And the best bit, it's only for seventh and eight years. And we get to go into Muggle London to shop. Any response Hermione could have made was instantly quashed by two excited squeals coming from the table next to them as Pansy and Susan whirled around. Did you say shopping? Pansy squealed. In Muggle London, Susan added, equally as excited. Ginny nodded, unable to make words. Soon the three girls were all crowded around Hermione, bouncing up and down and whooping. Okay, girls, calm down. I know I'm good looking, but seriously... Okay, girls, calm down. I know I'm good looking, but seriously... The familiar drawl of Blaze cut through the girls' cheers, setting them into quieter giggles. Ginny explained about the Halloween ball to Blaze and Theo as Malfoy walked behind them. Listening in before grabbing Hermione's hand and starting to drag her out of the hall. Don't worry not, we'll make your girl look really sexy for you, Pansy yelled back to the group of boys. Shopping, tomorrow, Muggle London, don't be late. You boys are buying us lunch. With that, the three excited girls were rushing out of the hall, with Hermione being dragged along, glancing back at Theo to offer him a small smile and apology for Pansy's comment. He simply smiled back at her and chuckled to himself. Blaze had already turned to sit at the table and grab some food, but Hermione noticed before she was whipping around the corner that Marvo was still staring at the group of girls with a noticeable pink tinge to his cheeks. Chapter 13. The following day, the girls all waited excitedly outside of the headmistress's office for the boys. Even Hermione had to admit that she was slightly excited by being able to shop somewhere muggle, especially with a bunch of purebred Slytherins who would no doubt be hilariously lost and confused, and to be able to get a proper fancy dress costume for Halloween, something she hadn't done since before she went to Hogwarts. As she stood watching the girls excitedly discuss what kind of outfits they thought they could get in the muggle world, Hermione realised this would be the first time she'd actually been with any of them, except Ginny, Luna and Neville, outside of the confines of the castle or Hogsmeade. And the first time she would be with any of them in a group 
of a muggle setting, shopping. She was quite impressed with how muggle the group of girls had managed to look. Hermione had lent some of her clothes to Luna and Ginny to help them look more muggle, and Susan had done the same for Pansy, who had refused to wear anything of Hermione's. I have some respect to keep Granger. I can't get out in London looking like a librarian. Luna had sparked a debate within the group of girls whether she would be able to get shoes made of live moss in the muddle world. Maybe if we go to Carnaby Street, Hermione mused, when they were cut off by Pansy stepping through the group. Oh my god. Turning around, Hermione was taken aback by the group of boys that were coming to stop before them. Neville had clearly taken a leaf out of Harry's book, dressing similarly to the dark-haired wizard in muggle jeans and a jumper, but the three pure-blood Slytherins that had joined their little shopping trip looked something entirely else. Clearly not one of them knew how to dress like a muggle. Blaze had done the best, with dark-fitted jeans and a white Oxford shirt underneath a deep navy blue jumper and grey coat, completely overdressed, but muggle enough for London. Thea was dressed in some of the loudest colours she had ever seen, brightly stating that muggles wear lots of colours, don't they, when Hermione had given him a quizzical look. He was dressed in bright yellow chinos, a pale blue shirt and a maroon jumper. Draco looked most out of place, however, looking as though he had no idea what to wear, so had instead thrown on far too many items of clothing. He had on dark grey chinos, a white Oxford shirt and a blue t-shirt underneath, a tan waistcoat and a chunky knit grey cardigan over the top with brown leather elbow patches, all topped off with a blue scarf with clouds on. He looked ridiculous. Sighing at the three boys after giving a nod to Neville, which he looked far too smug about, she ushered Blaze on, telling him to untuck his shirt, before flicking her wand and changing the colour of Theo's chinos to navy blue. She then stood in front of Malfoy, trying hard not to laugh. Before thinking she was whipping the scarf off his neck, he had disappeared the t-shirt and waistcoat, and had proceeded to pull his shirt out of his trousers for a much more casual look. Stepping back, she suddenly realised that she had practically just undressed Malfoy in front of everyone, including Theo, and was now being gaped at by both the boys in question. Quickly trying to rectify her mistake, she stepped towards Theo and gave him a quick kiss on the cheek, taking his hand in hers. Shall we go then? She squeaked, an octave too high. To an outsider, shopping was something that Draco, and any pure-blood wizard for that matter, was something they enjoyed splashing their cash around, doting on their paramours of the week, but in reality, shopping was something that he and his two best friends loathed more than anything. It was customary and expected for any pure-blood male wizard to dote upon any significant female in his life in some respect, whether that was a female relative, the witch, or wizard, as the youngest generation finally paved the way to accept he was courting, or a friend. And the three Slytherins were ready and expected to pay for everything in the group of five girls that day. They were quite taken aback, therefore, when four of the girls had come with their own money and insisted that the boys didn't join them in scrutinising the outfits they were trying on, but instead tried to usher them away to go and find their own costumes within the store. Pansy, having been raised a traditional purebird, looked a little uncomfortable at sending the boys away to the other side of the store where all of the male costumes wore, but she had broken tradition by bringing her own money for her outfit. Draco followed Blaze, Theo and Neville across the shop floor, looking curiously at all of the muggle fancy dress costumes. Wizard fashion was, he'd realised when walking around London and seeing actual muggles, not just muggle-borns, wearing muggle clothing, a little strange compared to wizard clothing. 
He wasn't sure what half the stuff in the shop was, especially when it came to the costumes that Neville helpfully pointed out were based on television programmes or classic tales that he'd heard Hermione speak about before in the common room. Draco was eyeing a particularly weird costume which included a bright blue mohawk wig and a black suit with blue flames all over it, with the label Hades on it. This can't seriously be what Muggles think Hades looks like, he mused, when Blouse shouted from the corner, This is the one! He was holding up a plastic package, which had a picture of a pirate on the front of it, which came with a hat attached to it, which they assume was a pirate hat, with feathers, beads and dreadlock pieces hanging off it. It looks like uh, a shrunken head, Blaze beamed, and let's be honest, with those tight trousers I'd look sexy as hell for the ladies. Rolling his eyes and turning away, Draco pondered through the rest of the store. He'd wanted to find something special that Granger would like. If he couldn't be her date to the Halloween ball, Theo had already told him that morning of his plans to ask Hermione when they were at lunch back in Hogsmeade later that day, he could at least be a standout and dress as a character she would appreciate. He would do anything in the world to make her smile. Round in the corner, after nodding at a particularly boring biking costume that Thea had picked out, he was not above sabotage at all. His eyes finally settled on the perfect costume. Picking it up proudly, he sauntered over to the pay desk, tipping all his muggle money onto the table and looking expectantly at the cashier, who was just looking back at him like he was crazy. Just before the moment got awkward, Draco felt a warm hand between his shoulder blades and the bushy hair of Granger sweeping past his arm. Sorry, she said to the confused cashier. He's not used to British currency. I'll sort it for him. She quickly glanced at the shiny box on top of the table that was displaying numbers in green before shuffling Draco's money into two piles, handing one to the cashier and one back to him, before smiling and bouncing towards Theo to see what costume he'd picked out. Draco stood there, unable to move for a, for a moment, still able to feel the warmth of her hand where it had left his back, before he was knocked back into his senses by the cashier waving the plastic bag that now contained his purchase in his face. I told you no, Ginny squealed as Neville tried to sneak a peek in her bag. We're keeping our costumes a secret until the ball. You'll have to ask one of us to see them before we get to the Great Hall that night. The group had finished their shopping in London pretty quickly, only having to visit three fancy dress shops and one vintage store before they had found everything they needed, so had made their way in time for lunch back to Hogsmeade, choosing to flew to the three broomsticks rather than back to the headmistress's office. Hermione had felt a little uneasy about not going back to Hogwarts straight away, but had quickly been convinced by Theo's dulcet tone in her ear reminding her that McGonagall didn't expect them back to her office until 4pm. They still had three hours of freedom. The group sat at a large table in the old pub. Being a Saturday lunchtime, the place was pretty packed, but the group managed to pull a couple of tables together in an awkward shape in one of the corners of the pub and squash together. Hermione was awkwardly squished between Theo and Malfoy and could feel the heat coming off both of their thighs as they touched either side of her. Theo quickly grabbed her hand when the group sat down, pulling her slightly away from Malfoy and proceeded to place his hands on her thigh to pull her even closer when he noticed that she was still touching more of Malfoy than he liked. Shall I get us around then? Blaze asked, standing up and glancing around the group. As Pansy and Neville got up to help him with the drinks, Theo raised his hand. Actually, Blaze, I wanted to ask Hermione something first, and then I think we'll be forgoing the drinks. Hermione looked up at this nervously. She felt Malfoy stiffen in the seat next to her, but she couldn't tell whether that was from being uncomfortable or because she'd accidentally leaned into him a little more when she turned herself better to face Theo. 
He's probably disgusted that my dirty, bloody body is touching his so closely now. He's not an emotional wreck and knows what he's doing, she thought. Hermione, Theo started, taking her free hand in his, so he was holding both of her hands together in his lap. I know we're not officially a couple and have only been on a few dates, but I've really enjoyed getting to know you these past few months. I'd be honoured if you would make my date for the Halloween ball. Would you like to go with me? Hermione wasn't sure how to answer. She had been really enjoying getting to know Theo too, and she was attracted to him more than physically. She managed to get out a quiet, Yes, I'd love to, before Theo pulled her into a hug and started fussing. Okay, wow, that's brilliant, Theo beamed, showing an unusual shift from his aristocratic demeanour. Well then, seeing as we're going together, I'd like to whisk you away from these people, no offence, he added, turning to the group and invite you to accompany me for lunch at the new cafe down the street. The four girls in the group were beaming at her, especially Pansy, who looked like she was close to tears with the romantic display Theo had just performed. Blaze and Neville were smiling at her too, as Blaze slapped Theo on the back, whispering something Hermione could only make out the words yours and courting from, which made her slightly nervous. Her smile faltered, however, after landing at the wizard on her other side, Malfoy's facial expression was one of contentment, yet his lips looked too pursed to be genuinely happy, and there was a distant glaze in his eyes. Without making eye contact with her, he simply muttered, You'll make a lovely couple, and got up, making his way towards the toilets, as Madame Rosemersa heavily plonked a bottle of fizzy album wine and glasses onto the table with a smile, winking at Theo. Did you? Hermione began. Yes, Theo nodded, looking sheepishly. Good thing you said yes, eh? He chuckled nervously. She nodded with a giggle as she accepted a glass of wine from Theo. The bubbles fizzed through her system quickly, intensifying the butterflies she was feeling. Before she knew it, before she could finish her glass, and before Malfoy had returned from the bathroom, she was being whisked away by Theo, who was saying his goodbyes to the group for her, and being led out of the door to the pub for the romantic lunch. She just managed to glance back to the group to give them a final wave, although the spin made her feel quite dizzy. When she locked eyes with Malfoy, who was sitting himself back at the table, he looked sullen and quickly looked away from her. He really holds a grudge against Theo so openly dating a Muggleborn, she thought. Draco couldn't look at her as she left the pub for more than a second. He knew Theo was going to ask her to the dance, but having to witness it so publicly and sitting so close to her was agony. He could feel the excitement radiating off her as Theo took her hands in his. He could feel the shakiness in her voice as she held back tears of joy and he could feel the heat of her body next to his as she was claimed by another. It was too much. Knocking back five shots of fire whiskey in quick succession after the couple had departed, he stood and made his excuses to head back to the castle, brushing off Blaze's request to see him back safely. He had already secretly been dosing himself with shots of the amber liquor since Thea had told him of his plans so he was now sufficiently drunk enough that he couldn't quite see beyond a few feet without the world becoming blurry. Stumbling out of the three bloomsticks, he made his way a few steps down the road, before realising he was heading in the wrong direction. He spun around a little too quickly, causing him to almost lose his balance on the cobbled street. Placing his arms out in front of him to steady himself, he managed to right himself and stood up straight again. He definitely needed some sobering potion when he got back to his room. He was about to turn again to face the castle when he caught a couple out of the corner of his eye down a dimly lit passage between the pub and the shop next door. A tall man was leaning against the wall, 
his hand gripping onto a woman's hair who was kneeling down and, oh my God. She was giving him a blowy, lucky fucker, Draco thought, wolf whistling at the pair before making his way back to the castle, chuckling to himself. Draco had managed to get himself back to the eighth year common room and sober himself up, almost, when the rest of the gang returned, minus Granger and Theo. They had all been up to the headmistress's office and let her know that they had all made it back safely. The remaining pair sauntered back to the common room some 15 minutes later, looking very pleased with themselves, hand in hand. Good date, Pansy cooed, looking at the two with a glint in her eye. Yes, thank you. Theo sat down next to Pansy on the sofa, opening his legs and guiding Hermione to sit between his knees on the floor, where he cast a cushioning charm. We had a lovely time, Pansy. Theo was a perfect gentleman. Granger launched into a descriptive tale of her lunch with Theo, about how he'd pulled her chair out, how he'd asked the broom to Hogsmeade to fly them back, and how she hadn't felt scared of flying despite her previous feelings towards the dangerous mode of transport. Draco rolled his eyes in what he thought was a subtle motion. However, he quickly caught Blaze's eye, who was looking at him in a concerned way. Blaze was a good friend and knew how Draco felt about Granger, so he gave Draco one swift nod before turning to the group to change the subject off the date. Let's keep this fantastic go going and play a game, he announced. Granger and Pansy instantly stopped talking and joined the group to look up at Blaze. What kind of game? Ginny questioned. The youngest Weasley was not what Draco had expected at all. He actually found he quite enjoyed her company. She wasn't judgmental or jealous like Ron. She wasn't a practical joker in the way that Fred and George had been. And she wasn't a stuck-up know-it-all like Percy. And Draco found that he actually appreciated the boisterous, brave, witty side that Ginny had. Blaze knew this also, and he was also very aware that Ginny was competitive and liked to know things about people. With a sly smirk, he announced, Two truths and one lie. The group all agreed in earnest as Blaze set out about telling them the rules, Asioing a bottle of fire whiskey from his room. So, everyone know what to do? The person whose turn is tells the group two truths and one lie about themselves. Or anyone of their group choosing the group. Anyone who guesses correctly gets bragging rights. Anyone who guesses which the lie is incorrectly has to take a shot of fire whiskey. Everyone nodded as Blaze cracked open the bottle, and Neville started lining up shot glasses on the table in the centre of the group. Okay, Ginny exclaimed excitedly. I'll go first. I've got some great truths and lies about Neville. Neville's head shot up to Ginny, a nervous look in his eyes, but she continued without even noticing as the group settled down to listen. So, number one, Neville had five toes before Trevor, all of which he lost. Number two, Neville has always wanted to try out for the Quidditch team, but is too nervous to fall off his broom. And number three, Neville has ambitions to do a mastery in Transfiguration after finishing school. The group instantly started buzzing about which they thought the lie was. Most thought that Neville having five toes was a bit excessive and settled on that being the lie, with the number potentially being much smaller. The three Slytherin boys decided that Neville couldn't possibly be doing well enough in Transfiguration to be considering as a career path after graduating, but Blaze chimed in that he could see Neville being fantastic in a Master of Herbology. Neville stood up, turning to Blaze and clapping. Congratulations, chaps, you're right. I will actually be going to do a mastery in herbology next September in Argentina. Oh my god, Neville, that's incredible! Ranger beamed at him. Pansy giggled and asked, So the toads is true? Neville didn't expand on the story, simply nodded with a slight frown before handing around a shot to everyone who had guessed wrong. 
If it's any consolation, Neville, I think you'd make a wonderful Quidditch player. Susan smiled sweetly at Neville as he handed her a shot, a pink blush noticeably making its way up his neck to his ears. The group continued on, laughter ringing in almost constant around them as they learned several interesting facts about their peers. After learning that Blaze was incredibly scared of Professor Trelawney, almost wetting himself with fright the first time she appeared behind him in divination while he was staring into a crystal ball, learning that Luna had only ever told one lie in her entire life, and that Susan had had a crush on Neville since fourth year, the time came for Blaze to tell two truths and a lie about Theo. So, our darling Theodore here, he said, pointing in Theo's direction, clearly a little tipsy. One, he has never had a girlfriend. He gave a quick wink to Hermione before adding, unless you count our Gryffindor princess here, which I officially don't. Yet. Hermione blushed as she felt Theo's fingers tighten on her shoulder, as Blaze continued. Two, Theodore has nine brothers and sisters, though none are legitimate to the knot line. And finally, our resident Mr. Knot is actually better than Draco and Hermione at potions. He just doesn't like making the, and I quote, boring crap we make here. There was a usual buzz of quiet guesses amongst the remaining players. The Slytherins all looked smug when they had heard the second statement from Blaze, which Draco noticed had lit up Granger's eyes. She confidently spoke up. Seeing as all four of the snakes in this room looked overly smug after the second statement, I'm going to assume that you know the answer to that one is outright a lie, and therefore that one is the lie. Theo instantly started to chuckle, leaning forward to her around her neck from behind. I knew there was a reason I liked you, you intelligent witch. Blaze looked put out, as what he thought were decently hard statements to deduce had turned out to not yield any drinking forfeits from anyone in the group. Theo slapped him on the back. Don't worry, mate. Better next next time. Is it my turn now? Blaze nodded to Theo while pouting, taking two shots of fire whiskey to make himself feel better. Theo turned to make eye contact with Draco, something which had the blonde feel very uncomfortable. Theo had been his best friend for most of his life, since the age of four, and knew absolutely everything about him. Well, they had grown slightly more distant in the past two years, and while he wasn't aware of Draco's issues with self-harm, he was fully aware of his crush on Granger and his therapy, as well as much darker things. Without breaking eye contact, Theo announced, Draco was jealous of our famous Mr. Potter's flying skills after first year and spent all summer before second year with a professional tutor to beat him. Draco was almost sorted into Ravenclaw in our first year, arguing with the hat in his head the entire way up to the chair and threatening if it didn't put him in Slytherin. I knew there was a less sinister reason the hat chose Slytherin so quickly for you than you being an evil prick, Blaze laughed before Theo continued, still not breaking eye contact with Draco. And Draco has a crush. Draco could feel his cheeks begin to get red with anger. Theo wouldn't possibly, would he? On the same witch since he was 13. And she isn't a pureblood. Draco stiffened up at Theo's last statement, eyes darting quickly to and from Granger. He could see the look of concentration on her face as she tried to deduce what was going on in his head. Getting a professional tutor is something Malfoy would do, she thought to herself, as the group buzzed around her. And I can definitely see him doing well in Ravenclaw. Especially with how studious he is. But having a crush on someone for so long? No, 
The rumour has always been he's had no issues getting any girl he wanted, and there's no way he would ever sully himself to admit his friends that having a crush on someone who wasn't pure but at that age. It might be different now, but pre-16 Malfoy would have never allowed such a thing. She was about to turn to Pansy to discuss her deductions and come up with the final answer when there was a loud crash from the other side of the table. Malfoy's glass was shattered all over the floor, and he was glaring at Theo with flashes of anger in his molten eyes. Before anyone could react, he had stood up and stormed off, muttering something about the game being stupid and being too drunk to play. Wow, someone is embarrassed at needing a tutor to be better than Harriet Quidditch. Mm-hmm.